welcome to Hillcrest Chapel Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. Good morning. My name's Tim. If, uh, if we haven't met before, welcome this morning. Uh, today we are continuing this series of teachings, little kingdom stories we've been doing this summer. Uh, these these uh, stories that Jesus told, often called parables, and we've been doing that, and then often hearing um, stories from our community of where the kingdom's breaking in, what Jesus is up to in people's lives. We're going to continue that today. So today, if you want to start, head to where we're going to be, we're going to be in Matthew 25. We'll get there in a moment, but if you'd like to follow along, you can start flipping there this morning. So uh, this past week, I was, I was emailing um, somebody from our congregation who reminded me of, uh, of something that I shared a number of years ago. Uh, and, I, and I just wanted to share it with you. It just kind of popped up um, this week. So as Christine and I parent, we, uh, you know, we, we have these, these little girls. And, and, and if you've been around kids before, you'll know that, that uh, our kids, like many of their small brethren, they, they like to climb up on things or jump off of things or slide down things, you know, like their siblings or their parents. And this is kind of, this is, they, they're just drawn to this. And early on, as we were parenting, at least I found in myself, one of our kids would be on the edge of a couch, you know, their eyes are closed, one foot, high heels, ready to jump, kind of thing. And I would find that my instinct would be to say, be careful, right? You know, be careful. And uh, that would be, that'd be what kind of naturally wanted to come out of me in Christy and I, we were talking, and we recognized that, that as parents, we lay down uh, mental, you know, these record grooves, these tracks in our kids' minds that are going to play over the years. That parents just do that. They, they put tracks in kids' heads, and, and, uh, and we reflect on what kind of, what, what do we hope uh, plays in our kids' heads, and we said, you know, we, we, we try, we made a decision to try to say, be brave more often than be careful. That, that years from now, when, uh, when our kids are grown up and life is not as easy or as safe or as comfortable as the side of our couch, that they would, when things get hard, they would have this, this echo in there. They would hear this faint voice, be brave, be brave, be brave. And uh, that's our hope for our kids. I, I think about the Jesus movement, um, this thing uh, we call Christianity. And I think one of the, the misconceptions, one of the caricatures that happens sometimes is that it gets thought of as more of a be careful movement than a be brave movement. I think sometimes we can, there's this misconception that, you know, it's that, uh, that the Jesus movement is you know, it's about comfort or safety or, or avoiding risk. And, and if you spend any time with the scriptures and the people who walk with God, any time with the story of Jesus and, and what he calls his followers to, like, you realize that is completely mistaken notion. And, and if you, like, if you're here and you've been sold that lie, that you've been, you've been told that, that, 
that, that following Jesus is safe or small or risk avoidant or comfortable, and that actually a life of risk and challenge is away from Jesus, if you've been sold, I am sorry, because that is simply not true. The Jesus movement is a be brave movement. I want to talk about this. I want to look at one of Jesus' stories this morning where he talks about risk and courage. So, uh, we're going to be in Matthew 25. We'll start in verse 14. And just a little bit of context uh, before we dive into that. It's, it's just one of these things that oftentimes I think I miss. Jesus, it's just a couple days. This is the last week of his life. It's a couple days before he's going to be arrested and executed. So this is, and he knows, he sees where this is headed. He knows the end is near. And, and so like he's got these few hours left with his friends, his apprentices. And, he, and, and one of the last, he's like, before I go. I need to tell you a few stories, which I just think that's fantastic, right? I only have a few minutes left. I need to tell you a few stories. And this is one of the stories that he told his apprentices, the disciples. So let's look at it. Matthew 25, uh, we'll begin in verse 14. Jesus says, again... It will be like, and he's talking about him leaving this time after he's gone. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Uh... You may have heard this in terms of talents before. He gave one five talents, one uh, two talents, one one talent. And the, because it doesn't in the Greek, it doesn't say bags of gold. It says talenta, and uh, talenta was actually a unit of measurement, sixty to ninety pounds. So he gave one five bags of sixty to ninety pounds of gold. And it's actually it's from this parable where we get our English word talent. It comes out of this. But uh, so. So let's round off 75 pounds of bag. Let's just kind of approximate. A talent was about 75 pounds. So one person got five 75 pounds gold bags, right? And one of these bags was like 20 years wages. So one person got 100 years worth of wages worth of gold. One person got 40 years wages worth of gold. One person got 20 years wages worth. I mean, it's a lot of money that is handed out here. And verse, this is what happens. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. He dug a hole and he buried it. And we've talked, we talked a couple weeks ago about how this was not as actually done in the ancient Near East. People would bury treasure, bury coins to keep them safe. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done. Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Notice, notice the master doesn't say, notice it doesn't say, well done, good and productive servant. 
It doesn't say, well done, good and successful servant. The, the emphasis the master doesn't put on the outcome of success. The emphasis, twice it's repeated, faithful. This first servant was faithful. Which is, it's not exactly the same as successful or productive. The man with two bags of gold, verse 22, the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So these first two servants, we see they're commended for their faithfulness. That's their, their I'm going to act in trust and faith. And the, the outcome is they get to share in their master's happiness. Some translations say share in their master's joy. And I would argue that that is probably what's even motivating these first two servants. This desire to share, to see their master's joy, to share in their master's joy. Because we see a very different motivation in the third servant, which pops up next. Verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. If the first two servants are faithful and motivated by sharing in the master's joy, the third servant is motivated by fear. Fear is the dominant reality for this third servant. Servant. Fear. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that I, when I returned I would have received it back with interest. Now I want to I go back to that first line, verse 26. The master says, You wicked, Lazy servant. And that word lazy, the word behind that is okneros. I think we have okneros, a slide. There we go. And okneros, it doesn't mean exactly what the English word lazy means. Okneros means something like hesitant or reluctant or shrinking back from action. It's similar, but it's not as, this hesitancy, this reluctancy. The, the, the verbal form of okneros actually occurs in Acts 9.38. It's, uh, and we won't go there, but just, so you, just to get a sense for this word okneros. Uh, so in Acts 9.38, Peter, one of the leaders of the Jesus movement, these disciples, are, they're sending a messenger to Peter. And the message, they want Peter to come to where they are. And the message they send to Peter is this. They say, they say Peter, do not okneros. Come at once. It's the verbal form. So now are these, are these messengers saying, Peter, leader of the Jesus movement, don't be lazy. No, that's not what they're saying. What are they saying? They're, Peter, don't hesitate. Don't be reluctant. Don't be afraid to act now. Come at once. Okneros. So this, this, this servant, don't, this, you wicked servant, you okneros servant. Reluctant. Hesitant to act. Verse 28. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. 
For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this final uh, imagery, this, this imagery of darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth, this is stock imagery of judgment in the first century. So it's this, this end note of judgment. So what do we do, what, what do, we do with this, this story that Jesus told? He's at the end of his life, he's, you know, he's, I'm going to be gone soon. He's talking about himself leaving. He gives his followers this story. What's Jesus driving at? Now, what he's not driving at, I don't think, we, we need to remember, and we've talked about this different time, that parables are not, they're not full-blown theological systems. The, the point of parables is not to convey all the information there is to be said on a subject. The point is not to say, I'm going to explain in depth how judgment works. Right? That's not what parables are about. They're not primarily information conveying. That's not what they're about. So, because if you, if you, ta- if you think about it that way, it, it leads to this, these weird places like, well, Jesus is saying how we're rescued by God and how we're judged. And the way, the way we're right with God is we're good servants. We try really hard and then we're right with God. And if you're a bad servant, you're judged the end, right? It's not, that's, it, that, the, point, the, the point is not to be saying, for Jesus to communicate everything there is to be said on how to be right with God. Because clearly the rest of the Jesus story is all about how God in Jesus is rescuing people who cannot rescue themselves. The whole gospel is about how God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves, how we're made right with God when we cannot do that for ourselves. That is what the gospel is about. And so the the point is not to convey how one gets saved or right with God in this. The point of parables, and we've talked about this a lot of times, parables are, they're prophetic. They're wake-up calls. They're warnings. They're prods in the side. Parables are designed to spur people to action, to decision, to choice. And, and they're, said, they're often said in extreme ways and in pointed ways so that people will move. It's not to fill our heads with stuff. It's to get us to move into action. That's what parables are about. Same with this parable. It's trying to force a choice. Two ways, two paths in front of us. And the two paths... Uh, you know, I think the two paths, sometimes, what are these two paths? Sometimes I think the way we hear, at least the way I've heard this story of Jesus in the past, is I hear it and, and I slip into this mindset is, oh, Jesus is trying to get me to be, be productive, right? Have you, you know, be productive, get stuff done. And, and I, I don't know if that's where the emphasis really lies in this parable. I really see there's a lot in here about willingness to risk. I mean, think about, think about those first two servants. The first, they, they, one has been given, you know, what's five times 75? 375 pounds of gold. The other has been given 150 pounds of gold. I mean, that's a huge amount of wealth. And when they invested or they put it to work or they buy boats or whatever they did with it, they didn't know how it was going to turn out. They didn't know, oh, this is going to be fine. They didn't know the future. They, they, they could have lost all their master's money. Right? 
But they chose to act. And the master doesn't say, well done, good and successful servant. Well done, good and faithful. They tried. They acted. They risked. They stepped into it. And similarly, on the the obverse of that, the third servant is not critiqued for being... the, the, The master doesn't say, you lost my money. The master says, you are okneros. You are afraid to act. You were, you were motivated by fear, and you were afraid to act. You were hesitant. You were reluctant. You didn't risk. You didn't lean into the challenge. So I don't believe the emphasis. It's not just about be, it's about will you, will you risk what you've been given? This parable, over the years, our English word talent comes from it because we we recognize God has given us things. God has given you things. God's given you, he's given you athletic ability or or, or ability to manage projects or this this gift with people, just the ease of making friends or, or kind of a gift with words. You can just spin gold with words. He's given you gifts. He's given you education and training. He's given you resources and And the question is, what will we do with what we've been given? Will we we risk what we've been given for Jesus and his kingdom? Or will we bury it? Will we risk what we've been given for Jesus and his kingdom? Or will we bury it? And the, 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 the Jesus movement... It's a be brave movement. It's not a be careful movement. You, we stand, to, to walk with Jesus is to stand in line with, with Abraham who moved across the known world, who left his homeland. It's to stand in line with Moses who was called to lead a people out of slavery. It's to stand in line with Rahab who welcomed foreigners and trusted God. It's to stand in line with Ruth who left her people to care for her widowed mother-in-law. It's to stand in line with David who lived for years in the wilderness hoping that God would one day give him the kingship. It's to stand in line with Esther who said, this may cost me my life, but I believe I am here for a purpose. It's to stand in line with Mary who said, I will take on public shame. It's like, this is the line of people. This is the movement we are part of. It's a be brave movement. It's people who were not, their dominant stance was not fear. Yes, they experienced fear, but that is not what drove them. What drove them was this hope of their master's joy, hope of God's joy. God has called me to this and I will step in and risk. What have you been given? What have you buried? Is there anything you need to dig up? I think sometimes we relationships they get they they we get buried, they get frozen, right? Maybe maybe uh, you're in a friendship and you need to take a risk. It needs to be a hard conversation. Maybe you're a parent. And there needs to be this, this challenge given to your kids, but it takes risk. Maybe you're married, and there are some areas that you just don't talk about anymore, and you need to talk about it. In relationships, we can refuse to take risks, and those relationships, they get, they get buried. They get frozen. They don't move forward because we won't step into them. We won't risk. What, are there things that we need to dig up? Maybe you have, maybe God's nudged you to something. 
There's this dream God's put in your heart, this hope, this call. And you know God's been asking you to do this thing, but it's gotten buried. And maybe, maybe it needs to be dug up. What have you been given? Will you risk for Jesus and his kingdom what you've been given? What have you buried? This morning, you know, I said we've been, uh, this series, we've been looking at um, these kingdom stories of Jesus. And then we've also been hearing kingdom stories from our community. And this morning, uh, I hope we get to hear a kingdom story from our community. This is actually a video that was made um, earlier this year. And we, uh, we will see how it works. We're taking a risk. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Ann Boskamp has a blog that where she showed the picture of, I think his name was Aaron, or the little boy's body wa- washed up on the beach. And her um, line for that blog post was, couldn't he have stayed with us? Um, and I was like, yeah, he, he could have, he could have stayed with us. And why can't he? And, um, yeah. And just started wanting to read more about it and know about it and how can I help and can we go there? And, um, why are these parents leaving with their kids? I just, I couldn't believe that. Yeah, I couldn't believe what was happening. I want them to know that we care. And I think that's what breaks my heart is there are people who still aren't getting enough help. I would hate for them to think that it's because we don't care. Yeah, I can't imagine, you know, having your neighbors get bombed and feeling desperate enough to get in a blow-up raft and, like, try to get to Orcas from here to take, you know, middle-class families and have them, their legs wiped out from them and then go to a place where they think there's going to be hope. Europe is civilized and decent and rich. We will go there and they will help us. Um, and then to have gates, you know, to be stuck in camps. I was talking to Mary, my mother-in-law, and I said, I want to go there. I want to do something huge. Mary said, well, why don't you do something to raise more money? Why don't you do something that you know how to do? Like you could do art or you could host a garage sale. And I was like, oh, that sounds like work. <laughs> and she said, I'll help you. And I said, you would help me? And she said, yeah. I said, well, I'll do a garage sale then. And so we did that and people came out of the woodwork to help. And then the church had this opportunity to do a concert, but they couldn't pay for it. And so they asked Sarah Groves if she could do it as a fundraiser. Shelly, our children's pastor, said, you want to do this as a fundraiser for your thing that's on your heart. Um, I was like, yes. Yeah, I don't know how to do a concert, but I I would like to do that. It was kind of crazy to to think that it was going to happen and then be in that point of, okay, she's going to come here and are people going to buy tickets? Yeah. And we didn't have a big advertising budget. We didn't have any advertising budget. Somebody else came up to me at church and said, I'm really nervous that people aren't going to come. 
And I said, I know, but I have faith that we're going to stand in the back of the church and see a full room, and we're going to say, how did this happen? I'm just going to trust that this is God's thing, because it's... Sounds so cliche, but that that God is doing this. It's not me. And yeah. Good evening. Welcome to Hillcrest Chapel. I'm Carla, one of the pastors here, and it is my privilege tonight to introduce you to Sarah Groves and her band. Any fans out there? Yeah. But tonight, what is really fabulous is we get to join her because of her generosity in coming, in standing in the gap for those who are needy. So will you join me in welcoming with a round of applause, Sarah Groves. Thank you. you. Have you listed all the times you've tried? Do you call on all your Somebody asked the question, why are you hiding? Did you feel a pull? Did you hear a call? Did you take a chance and lose it all? Do you fear there's no collateral left for trying? A friend I know your heart is raw, but time I heard her music I was in college and we were at a leaders retreat and someone said you have to listen to this song and it's called um, Less Like Scars and it's her song that talks about um, I don't feel like I'm afraid as much anymore and there's another song called Remember Surrender where she talks about like I remember that good feeling of surrendering to the Lord and I want to be in that place again and how come I can't live in that place of surrender I remember having those kind of mountaintop experiences where you feel like you lay it all out to God and He kind of crushes you in a good way, and then you go back to daily life and think, I want to be in that place where my heart is crushed in a good way, and I know all I can depend on is the Lord. That crushing in your spirit is, that's a Holy Spirit, that's that humanity piece that like, that that longing, that brokenheartedness is something that you have to honor and follow. Just go forward. Because I think if you don't honor that, then you get less sensitive to it. I think when our hearts are broken about things like that, that's how God motivates people to lift others up and to get out of ourselves. 
what you just raised. I have to move you in this large number. Um, $14,894. Technically speaking, we raised enough money to care for about 53 families. 53 families for a month, and that includes food, shelter, water, diapers, and stuff. It's amazing that we changed lives. Um, but in this situation, those are people who are going to continue to need people for years. Many of you uh, probably know Talia, and you'll have to, when she's here next, you'll have to say hi to her and just let her know that you heard her story. She knew that we'll be showing this today, of course. Uh, but I think it's, uh, uh, to me, it's this, this image of um, this, this prompting uh, by God's Spirit and her willingness to step out, and that this is the way of Jesus, to step out and take this risk, and mo being motivated not by fear, but motivated by this hope of the master's joy. And, and, and even at the end, those, her and, the, and many came around her to make that night possible. They got to share in a tangible way in the master's joy. Uh, and it was, it was a very beautiful thing. And I think um, this, you know, this parable, that the story of the kingdom that Jesus gives his followers and gives to us today, um, it's not, like I said, it's not primary, it's not how we get right with God. We always get right with God by his, his, his grace. We trust in his grace. But it is this, this challenge to us, this, this warning, this wake-up call of like, I invite you to a life of risk. I give you these things. And to be faithful with them is to risk them for me and my kingdom. Not to bury them. Not to be dominated by fear but it be dominated by hope of the master's joy. And so we're going to head back into worship. I'm going to actually kind of have this down here, this shovel and dirt kind of as an image, an icon of, to reflect on this morning. And I just encourage you to reflect on these questions of what have you been given? Will you risk what you've been given for Jesus and his kingdom? Do you find hope of the master's joy to be bigger in your heart and mind than fear? Is there anything you've buried that needs to be dug up? Now let me pray for us and then um, we'll continue in worship. Uh, Jesus, Jesus, you... You spoke to your, your friends, your apprentices, uh, before you were about to leave them. And, and you speak, these are living words to us today by your spirit. And you do it, you love us enough to get our attention, to show us the way of life. Jesus, I know that um, every one of us, myself uh, especially, that we have these places we're tempted to fear and to live and act out of fear. Jesus, would you invite us, even this morning, would you show us those places, those particular places where we need to be willing to risk for you? Would you show us those things you've given us that we need to, to, to use on behalf of you or your kingdom and not bury them? 
Would you challenge, even say a hard word to us this morning, if there's things that we've buried, we need to dig them up. Jesus, we know that you have life that is truly life, that you save us for eternity, but you also continually rescue us by showing us the path of life. Would you do that again this morning? In your name, amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Chapel. For more info on this and other sermons, go online to hillcrestchapel.com or visit us at 1400 Larrabee Ave in Bellingham, Washington any Sunday morning, 9 or 11 a.m.